Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your landscape, your houseplants, your yard, whatever, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Questions, comments, or concerns are certainly welcome, Mister Keller. Before you take off, yes, uh, I'm afloat in the St. Patrick's Day parade. You are. I'm afloat. Really? Catch. <laughs> oh, I didn't even have to to work for these. All right. Well, thank you. Now I'm official. Right. Got my my beads here with the. Uh, the, the uh, shamrock. shamrock, yes, very, very Mardi Gras ish, St. <laughs> Patrick's Day ish. <laughs> so, well, thank you, certainly. You I know just, how every Irish song goes? No, because when Irish eyes are smiling, am I right? Yeah. Do you know the second line to any of those? I don't either. No, no. <laughs> but since you, I mean, I felt like you needed some green. I do, and I have my island shirt. I'm going to wear tomorrow. I debated that this morning. Oh, because well, it's St. Patrick's. That's Day. true. Today is yeah. the eve. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day eve. Which... So give me back those beads. Okay. No, 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 no. You, they're yours. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> Certainly. Yes, folks. On Saturday mornings, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard. What's going on in that front yard? Ooh. Why did that truck run over part of my front yard and now I can't grow anything there? And uh, how about that side yard? Especially garden space. Hmm. My herbs are just not doing quite as good as I thought they should be. And a taste of the tropics. Your houseplants. And how are they doing? They should be starting to grow. Don't start fertilizing your houseplants until you actually start seeing some active growth. Once you see the active growth, then only fertilize with one half the label rate right at first. So just make sure that you do that. How to improve your soil, how to shear, how to prune, how to, ooh, what kind of bugs are those? Or, or is that eggs or what is that? I don't know. It's white speckly stuff. Information, well, it helps you make better decisions. My thoughts and orchestrations will hopefully solidify those options for you. And you can say, well, okay, maybe this, maybe that. Hmm, I'm not really sure yet. Maybe I'll think about it. And the final judgment, the action is going to be you. This is your show, by the way, and I appreciate you having me on your show and you listening, whether you're in your home, your car, or wherever you're listening from. Another important player is Greg Harvey. He's here today producing. This may be his last day to produce. He got a great new job here at the uh, Intercom system, and I believe he's going to be board operator for the Total Information AM during the week. And so congratulations to him. It seems like so many people that produce the Garden Hotline move on to greater things, whether it be Dan McLaughlin, whether Tom Ackerman, or many, many other people have 
this is a springboard, and I'm still just here. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I've written five gardening books. Two are available at various locations, and I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. Also, I landscape consult, which I call Walk and Talks, and you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. And on the homepage, there's an email address and a phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. All types of vehicles were pulling up trying to figure out how to get around to where they needed to go. Streets were closed. Dumpsters and Johnny on the Spots were in place. Orange plastic fence blocked some of the areas, sections, and park areas. Temporary tents and vendor spots popping up all over the place. And uh, the flag is really flapping. The wind's coming out from the north, headed south, and the flag's really pretty stiff. So that means even though it says 32 degrees, the sun's out, the wind chill makes it in, well, kind of the, in the 20s. And uh, Marcus Street was lined with railings. And at 6.30, traffic was moving east and west on Marcus Street, so it hadn't been closed yet. But it will soon because of St. Patrick's Day festivities all over the place. There's a bunch of folded chairs, folding chairs, that are kind of aligning Market Street. So I guess people, they don't come down and sort of like just stand there and hold their spots. They put out chairs and then just, I don't know whose chairs those are, but uh, I felt like maybe I should steal one. A couple of them look pretty nice. But uh, they're there. They're between like parking meters, like 8 or 10 or 12 of them. Then there was another section as well. So, hmm, a couple rabbits, they're scurrying all over the place, and they're headed towards a cut stone memorial, and that was for John Pelker. He was assessor of the city of St. Louis, so this park area was actually dedicated to him. Lots of birds all over the place singing and a few robins bouncing on the ground. Uh, fallen oak leaves were all over the place as well. Acorns, too, so it shows the squirrels were having some fun eating acorns. St. Louis University Law School building highlighted at the roof with those blue lights. As you look down east on Chestnut, the arch is such a striking sort of symbol of the St. Louis attitude and everything else. It really looked very, very nice. And uh, soon, though it's quiet now, it is going to be wild and crazy down in this area. So party on, race on, and everything else. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Depend on KMOX when news breaks. News on the hour, 24 hours a day, with bulletins at any time. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments about your landscape, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'll tell you what, we have had some wind. I don't remember the winds being this strong ever. Tracy and I were talking about it, and she said, well, this is March. And, yes, this is a time, you know, as kids, we always got our kites and everything else. But, I mean, we live in South City, and some of the winds coming, you know, at us from whatever direction. Sometimes they were from, like, seemed like multiple directions because of the way the wind was being channeled and funneled through buildings. But, I mean, swirls and vortexes and everything else of leaves, we have. I raked all the leaves and pretty much got, let's say, 90% of all the leaves off our landscape. And today, when you look out, you couldn't even tell I ever raked at all. 
I almost filled the dumpster myself. All the dumpsters are filled with leaves, so now there's no place to put them. We can't do anything with them. So that's kind of, this wind has just been totally wild and crazy. But anyway, let's head out to Edwardsville and see what's going on with Steve. Steve, how are you today? Hey, real good, Mike. Thank you. Hey, I've got a question for you, and I have followed your plan religiously for years on the Zoysia Yard. And it's like four or five acres I have out in the country. But is it too early to give it what you've always called the crew cut? Uh, to cut it down and get rid of the thatch that's out there from last year. And is there anything else you can recommend? I've never done any core aeration. I've always followed your fertilizer program like June, July, August. But just give me some recommendation going into the year. As far as a low, let's say, crew cut to your lawn, wait until you start to see some green. So as soon as you start seeing green, then you may, you know, it's time to do it. It's, and you want to cut it down to about an inch. Don't scalp it down because it can cause a, certainly a scenario where weeds are going to be able to get in there, blow in there, be brought in by who knows what, and you could have a weed, go, you know, weed, let's say, infestation going on there. And as far as, you know, core aeration and everything else, you could certainly do that this time of year. And then with a top dressing, even though you're going to scalp it down, a top dressing of like a quarter or a half inch of compost would be ideal. Okay. Well, thanks, Steve. Now let's go to James, and James is in St. Louis. Hi, James. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, My wife and I just really, really struggle with moles. And I'm just not sure what I'm doing wrong. I've used Grub-X. I've had professionals come out. The only thing I haven't done in the yard is traps. But it seems to me now my neighbor may get some moles once in a while, you know, every blue moon. But I mean, literally, when the spring comes, our yard is green and it's beautiful. And when it starts heating up, I mean, they turn my yard up so bad that I have to wear almost a mask or a scarf over my nose and face because I'm cutting grass. So really, what I'm doing is cutting dirt. And it's just blowing all over the place. And I'm just, I just don't know what to do. Well, first of all, controlling grubs does nothing to control moles. That is a total misnomer. Moles do eat grubs. Yes, they do. But they're, you have a nice yard, obviously. And that, a nice yard means you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And a nice yard means you have a lot of earthworms. Earthworms is the main diet for moles. So the moles, how they tunnel and where they tunnel to, they hear earthworms in the soil moving. Grubs don't move, so they can't hear them. So moles are actually underground. They're listening and they hear mole or hear earthworms. As they're heading towards those earthworm sounds to have a meal or to, let's say, take it back to their den or whatever it happens to be to feed their babies, if they come across a millipede, a centipede, a slug, a snail, or a grub, they're going to eat it. But it's an appetizer. It's not a main food. So really, the only proven thing has been the traps. And then you can't just, you know, you got to have several traps. you got to watch for the newest tunnels that pop up, set the traps along there. And it, that's about the only thing that's really proven effective. Hmm. Okay, and, and one more question before I let you go. So why is it, like, so prevalent in my yard and in my neighbor's yard not i I just don't get that because one one thing i thought one thing i thought that was happening was 
I really don't rake leaves. So I, I get on my riding more and I mulch them every year and I mulch like lots and lots of leaves. And I thought maybe that was an issue, but my, my neighbor mulches his leaves too. Yeah. His yard, his, his yard is not as good as yours. So there's because <laughs> in other words, I'm serious. A nice yard has more earthworms. His doesn't have as many earthworms. So the moles say, we're not going over there. What do we want to do? Just dig around and have no food? No, that's not what they do. They strictly stay where the food is present. And the food is earthworms. Okay. And you're saying traps is really the only way. Right. Victor spear or choker loop trap. A couple along a run, and then if you don't get to, uh, spear something every day or you know every day or two, then move them to a different run. Now, some people can sit out there and watch the mold tunnels actually as their tunnel. The surface tunnels is the eating tunnel. So that's the one you see, and they have a tunnel below that as well. And consequently, there's people that sit and just watch, and when they start to see their surface tunnel pop up because the mold's tunneling along, then guess what? They go out there with a shovel and pop them up out of the ground and then chop their heads off or whatever. Well, that's another problem that I have. It's like I'm a 300-pound man, but if I see a mouse in my, my house, uh, I'm not very happy, so I'm a little squeamish. <laughs> I'm a hunter and a fisher, but I'm not sure if I want to go fight moles and take dead moles out of traps and things of that nature. But Well, let me tell man. you one quite I'll tell you one thing. Back in, let's say, the 1800s or whatever, People used to trap moles and actually make coats out of their fur. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of sells it for me because I don't want to spend another dime on a mole ever again. It's just, uh, we spent enough money, and um, but it's horrible. It is absolutely horrible. And it's embarrassing because, you know, I live in a pretty nice neighborhood, and uh, everybody else's yard is looking good, and mine looks good all through the spring. But after it heats up a little bit, the moles come, and I mean they—I mean they rip the yard completely up. Well, you got a lot of earthworms, so that's what it is. Thanks, James. Good luck. Right. Thanks. Sure. <laughs> and now St. Charles is where Frank lives. Hi, Frank. Hey, uh, hi, Mike. Hey, uh, real quick question. I planted uh, maybe 162 upside. I bought uh, four sacks of uh, tulip bulbs, and they're all perforated with uh, holes, so there's a good airflow in the bags that I have left. And so I was going to pick it up this morning, and my wife said, are they spring, late spring or whatever? I said, well, I'll read the label. Well, I pick them up uh, from the bucket in the garage here, and they're all sprouting. Sure. Now, <laughs> my My question is, can I, uh, I've got pots, can I actually uh, get an amendment and put them down and expect them to uh, come up? You can expect the foliage to grow, but you can't, you won't get any flowers. Why didn't you plant them in the fall? Well, I'll tell you what, Mike, I planted 160, and I had another 160 I was going to do, and I didn't, didn't, um, uh, I procrastinated, Michael. Oh, okay. Well, you know, if you plant them at this point, this juncture in their life, you know, with this sprouting in the ground, in pots, you know, it doesn't matter if it's potting, mix, or whatever it happens to be, you're going to get probably foliage, but you're not going to get any flowers because they need to build themselves up in ground or in pots 
through the wintertime by absorbing nutrients out of the potting mix or soil, and then that builds them up so the energy that they push out with the you know foliage first, then the flower is going to be adequate. Sitting in a bag, they don't have adequate energy to be able to push anything out but the leaves, and probably the leaves are not going to be full size. Right. So basically, uh, since they are sprouting, uh, these particular bulbs are history now. I mean... Uh, well, you could plant them. You could plant them now. See what happens when the foliage starts coming up and breaking the surface. Fertilize them, and then maybe two years from next year, you might get some flowering off them. But generally, tulips, the way they've been hybridized and everything else, about one to two, maybe three years is about all the flowering you're going to get out of them, and they just kind of exhaust themselves after that point. So you could still plant them, you know, and like I said, when the foliage breaks the surface of the ground, fertilize and then go ahead and just kind of keep your fingers crossed for next year okay. not this year i got you i got you well thank you michael sure good luck and now let's go to mary and belmore hi mary yeah good morning um hi. i'm calling about an ash tree that i have in my yard and i was wondering i know that the borer is around should i have it treated or just take my chances? Uh, I would say take your chances because the treatments haven't really proven to be effective. Yes, there's injection systems and everything else. But this particular bore, the reason why it became so problematic and without probably even you know professional arborists and everything else knowing before it got so wild and crazy, is they attack the top of the trees. Where the majority of bores historically have always gotten in the lower three or four feet of the tree. So you could see the frass, the sawdust, and everything else. But these got into the trees, caused all this major problem, consequently, and people weren't conscious of it because we weren't looking used to looking up to the top of the trees. So you could, I mean, it. it may be fine. It may not ever get them. But, you know, places like the Arch Grounds have taken all their ash trees out. The city of St. Louis has taken a bunch out. So it's just, you know, it's up to you. Right. That's what was concerning to me. But there are no other ash trees nearby. So I was hoping it would make it <laughs> it may you know i mean they're great trees that's the unfortunate thing right okay thank you very much yeah so mike miller kmos garden hotline back after these messages in this busy world you need accurate information KMOX is home to St. Louis's largest and most experienced newsroom, dedicated to getting the story right. Meteorologists who help your family dress for the day, traffic reporters getting you to and from work, and St. Louis's sports staff who actually report on the teams. Information you need, when you need it, how you need it. News Radio 1120 KMOX, online at KMOX.com. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head back out to St. Charles and go into Mick's yard. Mick, how are you? It's fine, thank you. Uh, thanks for taking my call. And my question is on when you put down... Uh, Crabgrass killer, mm-hmm. how long after that is it okay to put down grass seed? Uh, you probably shouldn't even do it in that season, to be honest with you. But usually it's about four weeks. And so that's, you know, 
every product is going to be a little bit different. Always read the bag. The label will tell you how long you have to wait. Each it is according to what type of chemical that crabgrass preventer. And it's you know as you know by you asking about grass seed, it's just not crabgrass. It's any seed at all. So consequently, yeah, yeah. So you just have to read the label on the particular product that you have bought, and you have to read it carefully. And uh, that's about all you need to do. You need to get the crabgrass preventer down pretty soon because I'm starting to see some weeds already germinating. It's really kind of exciting, you know, scary that, you know, even ahead of when the forsythia is blooming. But that shows you how goofy our weather has been this year. Yeah. All right. And how long after you put seed down before you can put fertilizer on top of that? No, no, you should put fertilizer down immediately. You should put a seed starter type fertilizer. Okay. So in... That And then after that, if you're putting down cool season, which I'm assuming you are, like a fescue or a bluegrass, a seed starter fertilizer, and then maybe one more application of fertilizer in, let's say, mid to late May, and then no more in, during the summertime whatsoever, no matter what's going on or anything else, and then start doing, the, let's say, the fall feeding in September, and then feed all the way, weather dependent, maybe up to December once a month. Okay. Uh, thank you, Mike. Certainly. And, folks, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the outdoors. The tree buds are opening up and everything else, so it's really kind of neat. And, uh, you know, I'm always looking at different things, and something really caught my eye. There's a, some research by a Dr. Gary Watson, and he's up the, at the Morton Arboretum. And guess what? Morton Arboretum's up by Chicago, so even though it's, you know, cub country, it doesn't matter. What he's done is this research shows that the roots of fescue have a chemical that retards other plant root system growth. Can you believe that? Wow, that is absolutely incredible. So that's how, you know, fescues is, you know, there's native fescue. That's the native grass that's throughout the Midwest. But for them in there, even though they're hybrids and they become lawn and everything else, they have this. They produce this chemical that you know prevents other plants from getting well established in areas where there is fescue lawns. So what that says, it's kind of like what the walnut trees do. The walnut trees have something called juglans, and the juglans is a chemical that prevents a lot of plant material from being able to get themselves established. So if you have, let's say, a fescue lawn and what you should do if you haven't planted yet or if you're adding new plants is kind of cluster them together as opposed to having a single plant with just a ring of mulch around it. And what that does is a ring of mulch around it, yes, it protects that area where the mulch is, but as the roots move out underneath the fescue lawn, it could the fescue could have something that would impact that. So, I mean, that that I never heard of this before, so... And, uh, you know, I mean, a doctor, you know, from Morton Arboretum, that's like the equivalent of the botanical garden. So, hmm, scary stuff. You never know what's going to happen. Mary lives in Crystal City. Hi, Mary. Good morning, Mike. I wanted to tell James about a trap that I've used for several years with moles, Mm -hmm. and it's called the Eliminator. I got it off the uh, Internet. It, there's also a video that shows you how to use it, and it's extremely simple. I got 19 moles Whoa. the first year I used it. 
course, then I didn't have any molds for a couple of years, right. and then, of course, they they started again. But right. it's so simple. You stick it in the tunnels, you step on it to engage it, and you just wait for those suckers to hit that. Wow. That so sounds great. it's called the Eliminator. Yeah, it sounds like something that the Mafia would have. It, it certainly <laughs> does, but it works beautifully. Perfect. It, it really does work. So you tell him all about it. All right. Hopefully he's still listening. So thanks, Mary. I hope so, too. Thank you. <laughs> and Bye. now let's jump the river and go to Shiloh. And Chuck, how are you? Hey, Mike, good morning. Yeah, I want to amplify, please, Mary's comments for the gentleman who called in the first half hour about killing the moles. Uh, I've... Uh, since 2006, I've killed 90 on my property, uh, not using the Eliminator, but that's out there, but using another trap called the Victor Out of Sight Mole Trap. Ah. And, yeah, they're, they're very effective. They're about 10 bucks each online. Uh, not as easy to set as the Eliminator is, as Mary says, but I got a track record. I'm, I'm 90 and 0 against these guys. <laughs> well, hopefully you've been skinning them so you can make a coat. <laughs> nah, no way, Mike. I'd rather just watch them rot in the wood. There's, there's no purpose for these things. Uh, uh, certainly, Mike. The, the Eliminator and the Victor Out of Sight Mole Traps. James, if you're listening, get on it, bro. That sounds good. Well, thanks for the insight. I mean, two mole experts uh, as far as killers, one right after the other, both sides of the river, Crystal City and Shiloh both. So, well, thanks to you both and hopefully everybody that's listening because now the ground is starting to warm. So what that does is mean the earthworms who go deeper into the soil for the wintertime as protection, they start moving up towards the surface. They As they're moving up towards the surface, of course, they're crawling. Then the moles are waking up as far as from their sort of hibernation. They've got some babies now that they got to feed and everything else. So mole activity could explode. So thanks, Chuck. Greatly appreciate it. Let's go. Let's stay in Illinois and go to Fairview Heights into John's yard. Hey, Michael, I've been listening to you about six years. And same thing, every morning when I listen to you and people bring up the fact that having moles, I cringe. <laughs> because, you know, I thought I was the ultimate mole killer, but <laughs> that one gentleman... He's got me beat. I kill about 30 moles a year between neighbors, family, and friends. And I just use my shovel, get with a lawn chair, something to read, something to drink, and it's like fishing. <laughs> I, pop, I pop them out of the ground, and I'll, I, I'll, I don't believe in senseless killing, but when I get to me a chance to kill a mole, I feel so good the rest of the day. <laughs> But that, that, those one traps they're talking about, now, I've never heard of those. Yeah. I've got 10 of those, uh, you know, those medieval spiked uh, traps that are hard to set and kind of dangerous for some folks. Right. Uh, if those one more traps are out there, i got to do some research. Yeah, they, they're both, uh, I think both of them found them on the Internet, or at least, you know, the Eliminator was on the Internet, according to, I think it was Mary from Crystal City, so... Yeah, just take a look. I mean, obviously, there's newer ones that are out there. That I, you know, I'm going to have to get myself uh, out and take a look because I keep saying Victor Spear and Choker Loop, and now apparently, you know, Victor has a new one out of sight mole trap, and that's what the last gentleman was talking about. But whatever they do, it's, a, it's like you say before, it's, it's a walk, not a run. It's a dedication. <laughs> it, it will help out. And everybody out there listening, 
one male, you would think you have 15, 20 of them. One of them, I seen overnight, did so much damage to my yard. I, I, I just want to get off the bridge for my knee and cry. But uh, anyway, uh, don't listen to that stuff about those old remedies or going to buy something, save your money. But if those two types of traps are so effective, especially that one gentleman from Shiloh, I got a kidney one of those. Well, good luck, John. <laughs> you, yeah, you're one of those types that, like I was talking about, that just sit and wait because they know the surface tunnels are going to be popping up because of mole activity and just pop them up out of the ground and then get rid of them. But oh, thanks. And after a while, you, you get to where you can read a run. Right. And you know you can tell the flesh from the old, or, or like, it's kind of like an Indian tracker almost. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, will, you will get to know what's, what's hot and what's not. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. <laughs> Let's stay in Belleville to save some or Illinois. Go down to Belleville and into Barbara's yard. Uh, yes, I've got a couple of three questions. The first one, is it too early to cut back the English ivy? We mow it down every year. No, you should probably do it now. Okay. The second one is about apple trees. These trees are about eight years old, and the middle stalks are going straight up to heaven. Uh, is it too late to cut those back? Is it not a good idea to cut them back, or what would you recommend? No, I'd say go ahead and cut them back because you want, basically, you're going to get best production out of most fruit trees. Now, maybe the variety you have is more of an upright type, but usually uh, you want your fruit trees to kind of look like an upside-down umbrella, so you want the branching to go out, not up necessarily. Okay, so cut them back. I follow you. And the third question, I've got these plants that kind of border my flower beds. They kind of look like the hostas, but they're not hostas. They get a thin leaf of kind of usually like a blade of grass, a little bit thicker than that, and uh, kind of multicolor as far as a little bit of yellow in it. And in the fall, they get these purple flowers that come up in the middle with spears on spears, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yes, it's probably a type of liriope or monkey grass or lily turf, and that's, you've got the variegated one. Yes, that's what I'm thinking it is. And last year's growth is, of course, brown, and I usually take a, a pruner and I cut that all off, and then new growth comes from the roots themselves. Right. Is it too early to cut that all off? No, do it before the new growth begins, or else you're going to chop off the new growth while you, you know, while you're cutting out and getting rid of the old stuff. Okay, so it's it wouldn't be where it possibly could frost at night and hurt the new growth. Probably not. I mean, it could frost. I mean, this morning there was frost on top of cars, but I don't think it's going to be frost that would be damaging enough. I mean, these plant materials are, you know, somewhat smart. That's not to say it couldn't happen, but generally it won't. Okay, that's all I wanted. I appreciate all your info, sir. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Get ready for a sports doubleheader tomorrow. First up, it's exhibition preseason play as the Cards take on Miami. Pre-game 11.45, first pitch 12.05. Then, it's the Blues and Sabres. Pre-game 3.30, the puck drops at 4. The Cards, the Blues, a doubleheader Sunday on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. 
Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 are the numbers that we have here. Marsha lives in Fenton. Hi, Mike. <laughs> Hi. Was that you honking? No, it's somebody on my phone. Ignore it. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, a question on pre-emergent. We have very large, hilly, mulch areas, and we have a, always combating weeds. Horrible. And I, a lot of people like to use preen on it, and I don't think it works as well as Snapshot. Do you have an opinion? Uh, basically, preen is for bed spaces as opposed to you know other things. But also now realize that it only controls weeds that are coming back from seeds. It doesn't control weeds that are coming back that are perennial weeds that are coming back from the root systems. Yeah, a lot of them never die. <laughs> so in other words, they're perennial weeds. So you may be controlling the ones that are coming from the seed with the preen. But uh, then you got to go out there after them with you know, an herbicide like a broadleaf weed killer roundup or something like that to get rid of the other ones. So it doesn't matter. The snapshot is not really for that, then. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. So I mean, it's a it's a tough world out there to balance all this stuff, and you know, not have your yard just like a, sort of end up being a chemical waste site. So thanks, Marcia. And now, St. John is where Joe lives. Hi, Joe. Morning. I um, have ivy on half of my yard. We put ivy out there because it was a tree, and the grass did poorly. The tree is now gone. I still have the ivy. However, last year it started with a whole lot of uh, crabgrass growing up in the middle of it. And I'm wondering if there's any pre-emergent I can put on that without killing the ivy. Yes, pre- do away with the crabgrass. Yeah, system. pre-emergents only kill things like crabgrass coming back from seed. Anything that's perennial, flat, yeah. yeah, I mean like an ivy or something, it will not impact that whatsoever. Oh, okay, okay. Fantastic. So it doesn't matter. Just get a crabgrass pre-emergent. Exactly. And follow the label rate. And if there's instructions like water in afterwards or don't or whatever it happens to be, do exactly what the label says. Because these companies are always, you know, testing their products and sometimes they're making adjustments. So even for people who've been using the same product for years and had good success, there may be something that's been changed slightly and you have to make those changes. Okay. Okay. Very, very good. Thank you very much. Certainly. And now let's, from St. John, let's head southward into Imperial. And, Mike, how are you? Hey, good morning. I'm good. I've got a question. I've got a zoysia uh, yard, and uh, it's going to burn it off this weekend. However, my lawn company that I hired has already put down a uh, a first treatment for crabgrass. Uh, Is that going to hurt anything? Uh, To be honest with you, I don't know. I don't have any experience with that. I would say... It might not you know, work that well because uh, I don't know, you know what the actual chemical, if it's, let's say, burnt or, get, you know, let's say, heated up while you're burning your zoysia, that uh, it would not affect it. So I'm not really sure, to be honest. Okay. Sorry. That's right. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, my guess would be I would not do it, you know, if the pre-emergent, if that's more important. But, you know, burning the zoysia... In Imperial, obviously Jefferson County, you can do that in the city or the St. Louis County, and I'm not even sure you can do it in St. Charles. Burning zoysia was the old tradition where it's the equivalent of dethatching. So that's what it did. It makes it so you wouldn't have to dethatch your lawn. 
And uh, that's I had grandmothers and great aunts and everything else that live in various places that had really great zoysias, and they burn them every year a little bit earlier than this. But, uh, yeah, it may have an impact on the pre-emergent. Let's head north now. Carol, what's going on in your yard? Hi. <clears throat> Excuse me. A while ago you were talking about uh, applying fertilizer, and you said uh, I just wanted to make sure that I got it right. To fertilize now at the same time as you put on the pre-emergence, you can do that if you're putting seed down. I'm I said oh. put it with a you know with seed put a seed starter down. Okay, and then but I need to uh, put down something to slow down the crabgrass. Well, then you got to put so a pre-emergent down. Put that down, then fertilize now with you, it or fertilize later? You can wait for a week or so. I wouldn't necessarily put them okay. down at the same time. But again, with both of them, just read the label rate and everything else, whether they need to be – with the fertilizer, I would definitely water it in. But with a pre-emergent, okay. you know, depending upon the type, it may not be needed to, as far as moisture. And what is the difference between a garden preen and a yard preen? I can't really see – Basically, is one's just, for garden space, you know, for bed space, like where you have your trees and shrubs and, you know, perennials, maybe something along that line. And the other one's for lawns. Okay. All right. And then you said, you talked about fertilizing. You said fertilize again in May, fertilize now, you know, in the next few weeks. Right. Fertilize again in May. Then you said wait till fall, September, and then do every month or? Yeah, once a month. You know, you could, if you're putting seed down in September, which is a really a great month for seeding fescues and bluegrasses, then you put a seed starter down. Then in October, you do a winterizer. November, you do a winterizer. And if it's, the weather is warm, you may do another winterizer in December. But, for the, you know, and it's all dependent upon the weather. But, you know, ones, if, you're putting, if you're not putting the seed down in September, you're not reseeding, then you could do a winterizer just three different months, one month apart. Okay. And we've got soja. So, oh, so de- no, no, no. That's not what no, you do. No, no. Okay. All different. <laughs> yes. It's a different world. It's like speaking, you know, Spanish or Italian or English. <laughs> okay. So that's zoysia is a different language completely. Zoysia, you start feeding, let's say the first application is going to be, mm, depends upon the weather, but sometime in mid-May, then you're going to fertilize in June, mid-June, mid-July, mid-August, and maybe in September with a probably half-bag rate as far as in September. But with zoysia, because its active growth time is... Basically, in the summertime when it's warm, that's why you want to fertilize. And that's okay. when you do not want to fertilize your fescues and bluegrasses because okay. they're stressed out by the heat. Just the opposite. Okay. Exactly. And then the, because we've got a lot of crabgrass, um, trying to get rid of that and uh, that nut stuff. If I do the, the preen or the pre-emergent now... I need to get it down pretty quick, right? Yes, right, for the crabgrass. Now, with the nutsedge, the pre-emergent really doesn't do anything because it's it's a perennial weed coming back. Okay. So I have to just get something else for that. Yeah, like a sedge ender or a product specifically targeted for that. And you can spray that in your zoysia. It won't affect, as long as it's not, you know, the air temperature is not too high. It will just go after the nutsedge and then it won't affect your zoysia. Okay, so I can let that 
cream set for a little while and then uh, uh, get some zoysia grass seed for the areas where the the weeds have pretty much taken out the zoysia. Well, there's no, there's nothing. Zoysia seed, even though there's people that have called over the years saying they've had great luck with zoysia seed, I've never seen it or heard of it really. And so okay. with zoysia, you have to buy plugs. So in other words, okay. go to a garden center, buy a piece of sod, cut it up yourself, or buy it in trays okay. with little bitty squares. Oh, okay. All right. But I wait, wait a few weeks or couple weeks to do that after the preen, or I guess it wouldn't matter then. Well, it does because the preen, any kind of pre-emergent creates a chemical barrier on the surface. Okay. And if you take and you chop that chemical barrier, you're breaking it if you chop a spot where you're going to put plugs or a piece of sod in. So you're kind of going contrary to what you need to do. All right. So then, preen or no preen? (laughs) Yeah, well, you can put the preen down and just wait to put your zoysia. The zoysia is not even available at garden centers yet. It doesn't become available until sometime in May. By that time, the pre-emergent has probably been as effective as it's going to be, and you can go ahead and just plant the plugs or the side. Oh, okay. Fertilizer now or later? On your zoysia? Yeah. No. No, 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 now wait till... Till June. Well, wait either that or, you know, let's say you could do it in early May, the first application. Okay. okay. All right. Well, I think I got it right then. Thank you. All I right. It. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> I'm so sad. I've been talking about this for 25 years and she doesn't know. <laughs> but if you do have any questions or concerns, you can get online. Greg's here. He'll take your name and where you're calling from and we'll just kind of go from there. So it's, I'm glad to see the leaves are not pushing out yet, but the buds are. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. (laughs) Yes, folks. Welcome to the Garden Hotline. It's the tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving that shortly. But before Mr. Kelly gets out of here, uh, how are the Blues doing as far as playoffs go? Well, they're in the. Actually, it's kind of funny. Last night they didn't play, but they moved back into third place. Whoa! Because Dallas lost, and now Dallas has played one more game, and so you fix it all up and you right. put the Blues in third. So they're doing okay. But see, they they outplayed both Arizona and uh, who did they play the other night? Ottawa, the worst team in the league. And they lost both games. And oh. they got to get. And today they play Pittsburgh, who's playing really, really well. And then they play Buffalo tomorrow, another team they should beat. But they got to. They got to get back to winning. Yeah, I so. figured you had the cutting edge updates. So I just, I was yeah. curious. Today's a big one at Pittsburgh at noon. All right. Well, that sounds great. And you can listen to the game on Y ninety eight. Okay. Yeah, it's down the hall and on the other side of the dial. <laughs> Down the hall and down the dial, we'll say. (laughs) Great. Well, thanks a lot. And, uh, folks, give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, your questions, your concerns, or comments. And, again, thanks for having me on your show and uh, where we can discuss plant selection. We can discuss the ups and downs and all around. Annuals. Man, I got a couple flats of pansies, and I got a you know one or two pots of uh, let's see hyacinths, real hyacinths, not grape hyacinths, the, the big hyacinths, and also 
when I was getting my elephant ears and cannas out of the basement where I store them in the wintertime, uh, I just pull them out of the pots and I just store the roots. I also had a couple amaryllis in there. And the amaryllis were, had elongated uh, probably to about eight inches or so. So when I got them outside, I potted them up and now, you know, they were pure white because, you know, they didn't have any sunlight or anything else. But and just since Wednesday, they've already started to green up. And the stalk that was growing is actually the flower stalk. With the amaryllis, you always cut the foliage off, and then you have the flowering first, and then the foliage follows the flowering. So those are in our window as well. But uh, how about your ground covers? This is the time of year for your evergreen ground covers like ivy. You know, to go ahead and you can prune them down, cut them down with a mower. Just don't scalp them down too low. And uh, your spring flowering bulbs. Crocus are up and actually showing. Winter aconites are already finished, but uh, with your tulips and daffodils and everything else, as soon as the foliage starts breaking the ground, the surface, then go ahead and fertilize with a light application of fertilizer. Your edibles, your herbs and things along that line, or, you know, cool season vegetables. Houseplants, lawn, perennials, trees, shrubs, roses, vines, water gardens, or whatever. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path that you can take. There's lots of different options, and it's strictly offered for you to kind of consider. Across the big board, uh, Greg is producing again, and uh, I spend the week doing landscape consulting where I come to your home. We can discuss problem solving, whether it's an aesthetic or why is this not working here or what's going on here or anything else. You can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. The homepage is where my email address and phone number is listed. You can contact me, and we'll set up a time where I'll come to your home. Tip of the trial is brought to you as a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to all the people that are working to put this whole St. Patrick's Day thing together. I mean, it is amazing. As I said, I got here early because I know they start closing the streets down and everything else. So there was people out here at 6 in the morning getting things set up and everything else. They had a lot of already this stuff along the roadways like Market and places like that done. So that was probably, my guess is probably city workers. But these individuals that come and become part of this wild gala St. Patrick's celebration, even though it's not till tomorrow, that doesn't really matter. So everybody that participates in making the St. Louis or St. Patrick's Day, you know, kind of a cool time, the tip of the trial goes out to them because it is a lot of work. I used to work, uh, you know, for the, I was, you know, part of the bug store and we would not necessarily come to St. Patrick's Day, but we would set up you know, for different garden shows and everything else, you know, selling different things. It is a lot of work to do that. So be kind, be gentle if you're coming down and you're buying a product. So let's go now to Joan, and Joan is in South County. Hi, Joan. Hi. Uh, I have a couple of questions. Uh, the first one is I'm the one, when you mentioned the cannons and the um, elephant ears, I'm the one that said the cannon was grown in the basement. It's about five feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, should I cut that back before I bring it bring it outside, or well, just bring it out with with it like it is? Well, you can bring it out like it is. The only thing that may happen is don't put it in direct sun when you bring it out. Put it in a sh- pretty shady location and just let it kind of acclimate to the sun. Even though it's you know had c- light coming through either grow lights or windows or whatever, 
it still could sunburn pretty easily in the full sun, even though because the sun is super bright today, even though the temperature may not be that warm. So just kind of yeah. acclimated to a full sun location. Okay, and about having a, a large oak tree uh, cut back or pruned or, you know, I've got a lot of dead stuff in it and people stopping by and wanting to, to work on it. Well, I'm not going to have just John Doe work on it. I'm going to call a professional. Right, absolutely. And taking the dead wood out, that's fine to do that this time of year. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Because I'm going to have a new roof put on. I want it. I want it trimmed before they uh, put the roof on because yeah. I don't want them crawling around on the new roof trying to do it. <laughs> <laughs> now, my last question is: I have a, about a five foot arborvita uh, at the corner of the house that the wind has kind of tipped over a little bit. It's the roots are still in the ground, but I'm wondering about pulling it back up to straighten it up. Is that possible? Uh, yeah, you can. Just make sure that. Uh, you don't pull it back too much, too rigid, and too far that you may crack the actual trunk on it. Uh-huh. Okay. Fine. Thank you very much. Yep. And, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Let's go now to Joy, and Joy is in Florissant. Hi, Joy. Hi. Hi. Uh, this is not a probably a phone call you want to hear. <gasps> oh, my because... goodness. You mean I've been fired? No, I wouldn't let him go that far. Oh. <laughs> Because I, I love your program. However, when I turned it on today, I got really upset. I am an animal lover, and I have rescued moles in the past. Wow. And Great. for you to say, you know, get a trap and let that three-pronged thing go through their bodies to get them out just really upset me. Okay. That's fine. I mean, if you tra- let's say you trap them in their life, what do you do with them? Uh, I found one in a swimming pool one time. Oh, my God. And I took my dog in because I was walking him, put my dog in the apartment, got a Tupperware glass, went back to the pool, pulled up the mole, and put him in the yard. And you put him in your yard. Well, you live well, in an apartment. The yard. Yeah, the apartment. Okay, yeah. well, that's fine. But it's like they are more important than some stupid kale lily. <laughs> it's up to you. We all have our perspectives. Yeah, and I really love your show, but today it really upset me because you're going, kill them, kill them, kill them, you know. <laughs> no, people are asking no. me how to kill them. It's up to yeah, you. Then you should say you don't kill them. You try some other way. Well, I'm sorry. I live in the city where there is no moles. So if you want to have a no mole circumstance, move to the city because there's no moles. I don't have moles out in my house. <laughs> but oh, if I did, I wouldn't kill them. Well, that's fine. That's up to I'm you. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just really upset about this. But I love your program because you're very intelligent. And uh, my dogs are sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so my show put your dogs to sleep. <laughs> uh, no, uh, just about five minutes ago. Because <laughs> they don't care. But I do. It's like just just don't tell people to kill animals for God's sake. Well, look at all the hunters that go out and you know, shoot birds and everything I've else got out a there. Hunter's son, so don't tell me about that. Oh. He knows what I Okay, he knows right. how I feel All about right. it. Well, thanks, Joy. Personally, I'd rather shoot a person than a 
You. A deer. You're I mean, tough. For God's sake. Let me say. Let's see. You live in Florida, no, so I'll stay away. Shoot anybody because I can't even <laughs> handle a gun. So. <laughs> well, thanks, but Joy. I'm, I'm just saying, just please don't, you know, tell people to get those traps. They're nasty. <laughs> My parents used to use them. And they made me nauseous. Okay, well, thanks, Joy. Greatly appreciate it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Hi, it's Tom Ackerman with the Cardinals in Jupiter, Florida at spring training. I'll keep you up to date with everything Cardinals. Hear my reports mornings and afternoons on the home of the best Cardinals coverage, KMOX. Sponsored by American Eagle Credit Union, Wilkie Window and Door, and Norm's Bargain Barn. On your home for the best Cardinals coverage, KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're getting into planting season. Remember that if you're putting in any kind of woody plant material, a tree or a shrub, evergreen or deciduous, it doesn't matter, a conifer, do not put fertilizer in the hole when you're planting. Fertilizing the nitrogen in the fertilizer can really retard root growth by depleting woody plants of carbohydrates. So that's what it really does. So the nitrogen aspect is bad, bad news for plant material. So don't put any in the hole when you're installing your plant material. Also, just doing fertilizing in general, again, without a soil test, you could be doing more harm than good. So just completely and understand that. So let's now head up to Godfrey and see what's going on with Peggy. Peggy, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Good. And happy St. Patrick's Day. Well, thanks. A beautiful day, too. Yes. Um, I I have uh, had a, 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 I don't know how to tell you, except that there's huge patches of moss in my lawn. And I've been trying to uh, use the dethatcher rake to get rid of some of it. Is that the right thing to do? And and if so, what do I do now? Basically, you're never going to get rid of it, no matter what you do. A lot of people put, they have something called demoss. They have other products physically, like what you're doing. But the moss is there because of the soil chemistry and the environment in general. And the moss, you could make it so it almost feels like it's gone away, but it will be back. So unless you want to just do it for you know building up your muscles... There's not really any reason to go out there and fool with it. It's just in a, you know, a circumstance that uh, you have to live with. Oh. <laughs> um, I hate to be a realist. Is, is there any? Is there anything? Uh, will, will grass grow uh, if you plant seed? Uh, it will grow. It'll sprout, but uh, the moss will still probably overpower the grass. So you could put the seed out, you know, every May, every September. Then uh, just watch it and you know enjoy the grass as long as it's there. But just realize the moss is going to end up being there. And there's nothing I can do. Not realistically, no. Oh, that's bad news. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is one thing. You you sound like you have a great house. It's probably woodland or whatever it happens to be, and uh, up in Godfrey. And which is great country, but uh, you could sell your house and just move someplace where that's nice and just brutally that's sunny. I, that's what I need to do. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> brutally hot, sunny, new construction, so nothing grows. Not grass, not moss, nothing. <laughs> uh, tell 
joy that she can come over and collect all my molds. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, people, you know, trap a lot of different stuff. But then she said, you know, then what do you do when you trap and it's alive? You take it to a park or something, let it loose? I mean, you just kind of pass the baton on. But thanks, Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Sure. Sterling is in Kirkwood. Hi, Sterling. Hi. I uh, was just going to ask you about uh, grass. Um, what kind of a mix would you recommend for this area? Uh, basically, if you buy sod, it's going to be, let's say you wanted a fescue mix, which I think that is the best mix as far as seed goes. The sod is going to be 90% fescue, but it has to... Because it is sod, it'll be 10% bluegrass because that's what holds the fescue together. Because the fescue is a clump grower. And the, if you had sod that was just 100% fescue, it would fall apart. So that's why they put the bluegrass in with the fescue. But if I was just buying seed, I'd say a fescue blend. Okay. And is there any particular place that you would go to, uh, to buy seed? No, I would probably look, though... And, uh, you know, garden center, year-round garden centers is probably going to have good, you know, let's say new seed. But check the bag if it's a place where you might be a little bit suspect. And there should be a date on the bag, you know, when it was harvested. Make sure it wasn't, you know, really too old. Because sometimes I've seen it in places, various places, where the seed has been two or three years old and the bag still closed. Everything you would think would be fine, but the seed can just age even within the bag. Huh. Now, what kind of a, you know, I, I've heard you say put compost on top of the of the, the area that you seed, and uh, is there anything else you could put, like just some topsoil? No, don't put topsoil, because it's just going to wash away. And the compost actually just melts down into the ground. The, the topsoil really won't. So the coeration would be the ideal thing to do first, and then go from that, you know, from that standpoint and then you put the seed down and then the you know the compost on top of that but coeration is the ideal thing if you don't do that just i would say seed down with a top dressing of a quarter inch or a half inch at the most of compost okay i can neither confirm nor deny that i've uh, trapped molds but the the best tool that i've had was the uh, those scissor types of uh mold traps they're 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 quick they're they're the least uh you know uh they're the most merciful <laughs> if you will wow this is a mole trapping type of day well thanks sterling I greatly appreciate it <laughs> and now let's go to Lori in manchester hi Lori. hi mike how are you doing this morning i'm great i have great news i do not have a mole question <laughs> <laughs> or a comment. <laughs> <laughs> or a comment, right. Um, I actually have a friend in South City who has a very nice sized uh, bed. It's probably about 12 foot by 7 foot. And uh, he planted it up with tomatoes and cucumbers last year. The mm -hmm. cucumbers were on the ground. And we get great cucumber harvest. I mean, it was just unbelievable how many we got out of there. But the tomatoes, the plants grew like crazy, crazy, crazy. And there were uh, tomatoes on the plants, but they never turned red. I mean, just hundreds of them. And I didn't know if you had heard of that happening last year, trying to prevent it again this year, maybe something. He watered it very heartily every day. Maybe that's part of it, but I'm not really sure. I'd like to see some tomatoes out of that bed this year. Right. 
Uh, basically, if hopefully he's using tomato food, you know, fertilizer for your tomatoes. And mm-hmm. you know, the tomatoes are really a tough one. We always want to get the tomato varieties that have VFN. That doesn't necessarily mean or have anything to do with the ripening process, but that's just mm-hmm. the ones that are more resistant to disease problems. And uh, the tomato food has a calcium in it, which prevents, you know, blossom and rot. But other than that, if, you know, what I'd probably do is have a tendency not to necessarily let the tomato plants just grow and grow and grow and grow. Maybe, you know, let's say keep the size down height-wise and then make it – what that does is make it so there's going to be less flowering, less fruit set, and maybe the plant will have an opportunity to, you know, or you'll have an opportunity to get some ripe tomatoes. Yeah, I mean, they, they grew out of the cages. I mean, it was just, it was really quite uncontrollable, actually. And it was, it was great that we had so many plants that were doing something, but the blooms would show up and then the tomatoes would show up and then nothing. I mean, they would just sit there and never turn red. And it, it, the bed gets pretty good sun during the day. It's just, I, so just how, how tall would you recommend keeping those tomatoes? So that they produce well. Well, it depends upon variety. I would say, yeah. I don't know what ones you were actually growing, but maybe try some cherry tomatoes or some grape yeah, tomatoes. He yeah, uh-huh. he had some of those, but then he had some of the regular uh, big boys. That, I'm, I'm yeah, there is big boy. There's, you know, all kinds of different types. But it's, uh, yeah. you know, other than the amount of sun, that's usually what makes the actually tomatoes start, you know, ripening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and water every day for sure. I mean, now, it very... doesn't have to be every day. They do like a lot of water, but uh mm-hmm. so that shouldn't have any impact on the ripening. It was just really weird. I mean, the cucumbers were going crazy, but the tomatoes were doing nothing. And I just <laughs> was trying to figure out what we did wrong. So. Well, c- kick those cucumbers out. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, well, and space the tomatoes a little bit more. Maybe they're overshadowing each other, and that's why the fruits weren't actually, you know, getting enough sunlight to ripen. Well, the cucumbers grew on the ground. I know, but I mean, if the tomatoes are big, they could be overshadowing each other. True. Okay, very good. All right, very good. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate your help. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Home openers, they're just so fun. Unofficial holiday in St. Louis. Nothing captures the excitement of opening day quite like KMOX's Kegs and Eggs, presented by Budweiser. Get your ticket now. Your all-inclusive ticket features drinks provided by Maker's Mark and a Sugar Fire Smokehouse Cookout. Kegs and Eggs, sponsored by Overhand Door, Ashley Home Store, and Jim Butler Chevrolet. Find out why Jim Butler is the Chevy powerhouse. Kegs and Eggs. Tickets on sale now at KMOX.com slash kegs. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. The Park Pacific Building actually was built by Union Pacific Railroad. We look to the west here at the radio intercom radio stations. And I can look right out on Olive and I can see the people racing. It is incredible how many people run in the St. Patrick's Day run. A lot of them have green shirts on, but not every one of them does. And it is, <laughs> it's impressive. Let's put it that way. Let's head to South County, though, and see what's going on with Phil. Hi, Phil. Hello? Hi. Oh, i got a question about this grass seed stuff. There's an advertisement in last weekend's uh, newspaper called Canadian Green. It's supposed to green all year long, even under snow. And it says... Uh, It'll cover in just 10 days after you spread it. 
I don't know if you heard of that or not. No, I didn't. And to me, something like that is just, uh, hmm, I'd be a little bit concerned. I'm sure they're saying if it has a name Canadian, what that means is probably a cool season grass. Uh-huh. And with the heat of our summer times, I don't see it. Being green underneath, you know, snow, that's great. I mean, bluegrass and fescues do that, too. It's just uh-huh. the summertime, that would be my concern. Okay. Yeah, it says it'll stay good from 120 degrees Fahrenheit to 40 degrees below zero. <laughs> and it grows Sorry. in bad areas, too, uh, like a, a bare, shady, weedy, or hilly ground. I well, don't, don't sound right to me either, really. Yeah, it's nothing can do that. To yeah. be honest, okay, yeah. I mean well, seriously. I'll, okay, well, I won't order it then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can order it, and then you can call back two years from now and say, oh. "Mike Miller, you don't know what you're talking about." Okay, okay, maybe I'll go ahead and get some then. Oh, one little thing: uh, green beans in a trap for groundhog works really good. Oh, really? All right. I tried two years, two two uh, two months actually. Oh, well, I'm sorry, two weeks, and finally got the darn thing. And I did, I did, I really relocated it, so I did not put it. <laughs> well, that was very nice of you. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you, sir. Sure. And now, Dave in St. Louis. Hi, Mike. Hi. How you doing? Good. Thanks for taking my call. Did you um, happen to get the text photo I sent in? I don't know which one that was. Uh, it's just kind of some, it's dead grass, basically. It, it, and I was trying to see if you could identify it. I think it's crabgrass, but I'm not sure. Oh. And and let me give you a little background. My front lawn is fairly small. I live on a cul-de-sac. And, and last uh, September, the grass got really tall in the front. And the last time we cut it was towards, I guess, probably in early October, we cut the grass and cut at normal height, uh, which is usually about three inches or so. And after that, the lawn just got went brown, stayed brown, and just looks like there's just a weed across the whole thing. And I just wasn't sure how to handle it, what I should do with it. Basically, what, if you let it get really long and then you cut it back, what could happen is you've pretty much got rid of all the, let's say, the green blade aspects of it. So mm-hmm. that is, you know, probably, I'm not saying it is crabgrass or anything else, but what you might do is go out there and give it a good raking, and after you rake, put some new seed down. Just, just seed it? Yeah, just give it a you know, seed and put some seed starter down with it and see what happens from there. But this is probably not, I don't think this is crabgrass. No. No. You know, mm-hmm. we, didn't, we don't have your picture or anything. And dead grass, crabgrass, really, I mean, it should have been, you know, it should be gone. It wouldn't be necessarily persistent because, okay. you know, of all the weather and snow and everything else we've had, it's not going to be visibly laying on the ground. Okay. So, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's a brown stuff is what it is. Right. But that could just be been. dead grass. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, so. Greg pulled up the picture, so... Uh, you know, I can't really tell from here, but uh, I don't think it's crabgrass from the looks of it. You don't? Okay. No. Do you think it's weed, or do you think that's just grass that's, you know, laying dormant? Or yeah, dead, it's or? probably just grass because it got elongated, you mowed it, and it got sunburnt, and that's what happened to it. Ah, uh, okay. So so just kind of run a, run a, run a rake through it and, and, and uh, plant some seed. Seed and seed starter fertilizer. Okay. Great. Sounds great. All right. Thank you, sir. Happy, happy uh, St. Pat's Day. Same to you. 
And now let's go to Ed in South County. Uh, this is Ed. Uh, I, I have a large area of hembit. I'd like to know what's the best time of year to treat it and what to use on it. Uh, boy, henbit, that is, a, you know, that is a very nasty weed. So you're going to basically have to go after it. And so it's up and growing right now, correct? Uh, yes. Well, it's not real bad, but it, when it gets warmer, it all turns purple. Right. That's, you know, basically what it is is a warm season. It's a cool season weed. And then so you should put a pre-emergent down in mid to late August, and that will get rid of the seed. But it's dropping seeds constantly. Okay. So it's going to take a... August pre-emergent. Right. Okay. Is there any type of pre-emergent, or are they all the same? They're pretty much all the same, to be honest. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Yeah, that's just really a tough weed. And yeah, we try, we've tried getting rid of it before, and it keeps coming back. <laughs> <laughs> you have to stay on top of it. You got to do it a couple years in a row, to be honest. And it spreads. Yes. Well, it drops yeah. seed, and the seed is moved around by rain and everything else, and then consequently, that's what happens. Okay. Thanks a lot. Yep. Yeah. Thanks. Unfortunately. So now let's go to Lee, and Lee lives in Cuba. Hi, Lee. Hi, Mike. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, one question and one comment. The uh, comment is, I wish you would not tell people to use bungee cords to tie around stuff because I've seen too many people who lose the eyes from them. That's dangerous. Lose their eyes? Right. Well, they do it too tight or whatever, and the bungee cord um, hits them in the eye, and they uh, lose their eyesight. Well, I've been using bungee cords for about 40 years, so... You know, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but uh, that's kind of sad for sure. Because uh, I've seen it as a nurse. Uh, okay, my oh. question is on ground cover. What would be a good ground cover, maybe fast-growing, full sun, and it's going to go on a, both sides of a dam that um, we drive on, so it can't go, spread onto the top, just on the sides where it's steep to mow? Oh, I would say use a plant called... What the highway uses for sloped areas, the you know, Missouri Highway Department and everything else like that, uh, they use a plant called Crown Vetch. Okay. So I would take a look at that. It's in okay. the pea family, and uh, there's areas like in Fenton and places like that where very steep slopes, really kind of horrible soil, but that's what I would recommend. Okay, well, thank you very much. Yeah, when you get the seed, make sure that it's covered with a... You know, an inoculant, which makes the seed so it germinates. Okay, and what would that be? It would It would just makes, just ask them, is the seed inoculated? Okay. And if it is inoculated, what that does is trigger the germination. Okay, well, thank you very much. All right, great. Thanks, Lee. And now let's go to Eureka, and that's where Jim lives. I've got a question. i got an area... Uh, that's that's mulch right now, and I want to put grass on it. Do I need to pull that mulch back and then put dirt down before I... No, what you need to do is pull the mulch off, turn this soil over with a rototiller or something like that, even it all out before you put any kind of seed down. Did you get that, Jim? I did. Okay, great. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah. 
you got to get rid of the mulch, get rid of all of it, but also you got to work the soil up or else the grass seed will germinate, but it won't probably be able to penetrate. And especially if you've had any kind of landscape, landscape fabric on the ground surface or if it's been an area where it's been walked on a lot. It's too compacted. So now let's go to Marcy in Waterloo. Hi, Marcy. Hello. Hello. How are you, Mike? Very good. Well, uh, and I love your show. I've been listening to it for years, and I'm so glad to call in at this time. Uh, I, I'm, I've grown tomatoes last year on my deck, and I have uh, two, two containers, a big square container, a rectangle, I should say, and then another round container. And, and this year, they, or last year anyway, they got these green worms. And I was wondering what I did wrong that the, these green worms would show up on, in containers. Is, is, was it bad soil, or what did, did I do wrong? Well, actually, what's happening is those green worms are some type of moth or some type of, some type of let's say, flighted insect, like a moth or a butterfly or whatever. And then, mm-hmm. consequently, they fly around, they lay the eggs on plants that they know their babies are going to be able to enjoy. So that's what's happened. Oh, I see. So it has nothing to do with soil. It has nothing to do with anything else other than the fact you've got, you know, insects that are flying around that lay their eggs, the eggs hatch, and then they become caterpillars. I see. Oh, okay, because I thought, what did I do wrong to cause these things, for heaven's sakes? Okay, well, it's just something I can't control, really. I could just... uh, uh, is there something I could spray on them that, to keep the bugs from landing and and um, and that happening? No, not really. I mean, it's going to happen anyway. What you can do is just as soon as they're there, just they're probably fairly small, so just pinch them. Hopefully, they're not the giant, you know, tomato caterpillars. But uh, so they, other than... they look like they're pretty giant. I'll tell you <laughs> that they were pretty giant. Yeah, I tell you, it's scary looking. I thought, oh my god, it's a caterpillar. Oh. <laughs> Well, okay. So, so all caterpillars are future butterflies or moths or things like that. Okay, I'll think positive. That's what to do. Think positive. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, thank you for your show. Uh, thank you for being there. I've gotten so much information over the years from you, and I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy it uh, in the morning, and it's great. So thank you. Well, thank you. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Wow, back to Waterloo, Illinois. So let's go into Pam's yard. Hello, Pam, are you there? Yes, I am here. Thank you. Um, I have a Tropicana rose bush that I have to get moved uh, from my mom's house. She's passed, and uh, we have to sell that home. I know it's not the best time of the year, or at least I don't think so, to move that Tropicana bush. I don't have a choice, though. What are my chances? What do you think? This is not all that bad of a time. I mean, the roses are pushing out growth, but the foliage is not completely out. I'd go dig it up ASAP and put it in like a five-gallon pot. I'd leave it in the pot for maybe a full year. So when you bring it to your house or wherever you're moving it to, dig a hole in the ground, leave about an inch or so of the pot above the surrounding ground, and let the rose acclimate in the pot. And then next year, next spring, basically right at this time or a little bit earlier, pull it out of the pot and plant it. Okay. 
So we have uh, a part of that where I want to put it is in full sun. I have another part that's partial sun, but the partial sun area, the the ground's kind of clay and it's always wet. It it never really dries. Which spot do you think it would do better in? Wet soil is deadly to most plant materials and roses uh, surely will not survive in that situation. Okay, so go for the full sun and just keep it watered. Right, and just, you know... Just, like I say, drop the pot into the hole in the ground, fertilize it, you know, with rose food. Just, you know, treat it like you would if it was in the ground, but leave it in the pot so it can get itself reestablished. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks for the advice. I appreciate it. Certainly. Now, with Sunset Hills and into George's yard. Hey, George. Hey, how you doing? Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad you could get on my show today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, the worst thing about listening to your show, the more I listen, the more questions I get. <laughs> uh, but, uh, hey. Go ahead. Just first question, uh, what's a real good, I, I bought a pruning book that you suggested, but what's a good uh, just all-around plant book? Uh, around as far as care or anything, yeah, I would care, say you know, plant flowers that type of thing. I would say probably the best place to learn about things is go to the website for the Missouri Botanical Garden. Really? Yeah. Okay. And just do that. Well, that's a good idea. I mean, they have, the panorama of things they cover and talk about is unbelievable. I mean, I can push my own book, but this way you're going to get up-to-date plant material that they, you know, new varieties are coming out and everything else. So just go to mo, M-O, bot, B-O-T, dot org, and then look at the website, figure out where you need to go, and go from that standpoint. I was, tomorrow's supposed to be a relatively nice day. I was going to plant perennials, and I bought some stuff for a butterfly garden. Probably okay to plant them. Well, oh, I would think so, yes. Like I said, if you're listening to me talking about the pure air natives, they're saying if you're doing some of the stuff from seed, then you definitely want to get it down now. Okay. Okay, good. And then when you come out and do the walk a yard or whatever it is, what all is in, involved? I mean, do you say, hey, maybe you should use chrysanthemums here or... or it just depends upon the situation. Some people ask me to come out and just do jumping jacks. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> so anyway, it's everybody's scenario is different. We can evaluate things. I can make recommendations. It's just you know whatever's you know in your mind. I can say no, you don't definitely want to do that. But so okay, very good. All right, very good. Thanks a lot, Mike. Sir. And remember, if you want me to come out and do a jump jacks, George, I'll be glad to. Uh, let's go South County, Jerry's Yard. Hi, Mike. Uh, Bermuda grass, is it the time of the year to put a pre-emergence down, or would it be better in the fall? Pre-emergent doesn't really help Bermuda grass or hurt uh, it. you got to do okay. a post-emergent. Once it's up, go after that. Okay, so the and you just go after it with some kind of liquid. Uh, right. Spray. Yeah. Well, that's... Bermuda grass comes back from the root system. It doesn't come back from seed. Yeah. That's one grass that does well in St. Louis. You ain't kidding. Okay. <laughs> but it does, you know, it looks horrible in the wintertime, so that's kind of its downside. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Certainly. And Aaron in North County, can you do it quickly? Yes, I can. Uh, 
I have uh, zoysia grass, uh, but I have crabgrass growing in it. What? How can I? What's a good time to? What should I do? Get a pre-emergent for killing the crabgrass. Put it down basically now, and that will kill the crabgrass without affecting your zoysia. Okay. So, Excellent. All right. Good luck. All right. Thank that, you. Yeah, that was fast. So anyway. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I mean, today it's St. Patrick's Day, and but it was on the Garden Hotline. It was a day full of moles. Now, moles, you know, moles don't really eat plant root systems. They're carnivores. They eat bugs and earthworms and stuff like that. But one of the damaging factors is as the moles go tunneling around, they expose root systems underground to air, and that dries out the plant material root systems, and that's somewhat the damage. Also, if you happen to have an area where voles are in there, you know, what they do is use the old mole tunnels. Now they do eat roots. So it's, it is a tough life out there, regardless of this, what you're trying to grow. Your house plants and stuff, it's a little bit too early to bring yours out, although I brought some of mine out the other day. But uh, I'm going to put them up close to the house, and they're going to be somewhat protected. I have a bunch of, I have two huge pots of kaffir lilies that, you know, I'm almost, I'm 70, so carrying those pots. <sighs> so that's one, one of the things I'm going to do today after the show. Also, rake up the 10 billion leaves that blew up into the yard from the last wind. So it's, it's a never-ending but great fun situation. And that's what I enjoy about the outdoors. I've always liked being outside and to see stuff grow. Nothing could be better than that. So everybody have a great St. Patrick's Day tomorrow, St. Patrick's Eve today. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.